0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com, that's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 241 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist Living On today's show, we are discussing a big topic, and it is how to have a kid and a life. When on earth did being a quote-unquote good mom come to mean giving up everything that used to make you, you? We live in a wildly kid-centric culture. In which women are enticed to be selfless and give everything to their children, to their homes, to their partners. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you may find that you have nothing left to give yourself. So today I am speaking with parenting expert Erica Sauter. Erica has written a new book, and it is aptly titled How to Have a Kid and a Life A Survival Guide. Erica, I am so thrilled to talk to you today about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, primarily because I still struggle with the balance between being a mother and being a human being. How are you?
1: I'm good and I'm excited to talk to you. I love talking about our lives as parents. Me too. I like talking
0: to mothers who are willing to be real. And your book was real. It was real life. I remember after I had my first daughter, I just was staring at her <laughs> completely overwhelmed. And I remember being a little bit angry. Why didn't any of the moms in my life tell me that parenthood was actually like this? Why didn't we anybody ever decide to talk to me about how hard it is? And so your book is Down and Dirty Honest about the highs, the lows, and everything in between. We're going to talk about your book, but before we talk about your book, let's talk about you. Who are you? What do you do? And why on earth did you write this book?
1: Well, I am a journalist by training. Uh, I've been a journalist for over 20 years. I started my career at People Magazine, of all places. I covered health and celebrity, so I did like special issues like Sexiest Man Alive and 50 Most Beautiful, and it was an amazing job to have when you are in your 20s, right? Really cool. And when I was on maternity leave, actually, I was laid off. But I did not stop working completely. I went back to work. I was hired at their competitor, Us Weekly, where I kind of did the same thing. I covered celebrity moms. I did a little bit of health, but it was mostly celebrity. But once my child got a little bit older, I realized that it was so hard to balance motherhood and family life with a job that could keep me at my desk till 2, 3 a.m. sometimes. And I just felt as though I wanted to do something else. I really wanted to understand what life was like for moms across this country, because I found parenthood so hard <laughs> and so surprising in, in ways I didn't expect it to be surprising. I love talking to moms and parents in general about their lives, what they're struggling with, and how we can make it better. Well, your answer there
0: really pairs Well, I don't know if well is the right word, but it pairs with the pandemic, right? The pandemic has highlighted that moms are undersupported, grossly undersupported, and yet we are fed these messages through the media, through fellow moms not telling us like it is, that we need to be a certain way. We need to be selfless. We need to be like the giving tree. Give, 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 give some more and then have nothing left for yourself. So I'd love to start there. How has the media shaped our views of a quote unquote good mom?
1: Yeah, So our perception of mothers began way before a lot of us even realize it. When we're growing up and we're watching TV shows, and there's this presentation of what a good mom is. She's you know self-sacrificing. She doesn't really make time for herself because it's all about the kids and the family, but everything is also perfect. And every drama, every hiccup seems to be solved by the time the credits roll. And even though we know we're watching a fictional show, it really does kind of help us shape what we think a good mom is, right? They're put together, their house is clean, they have a loving marriage, they hardly ever argue, their kids are well-behaved, and if they mess up, again, you jump in and you help save the day and you make everything okay. And I think that leaves us with this idea that we're constantly messing up because our lives rarely look like those lives of parents on TV. I was a journalist for a very long time and I can't tell you how many body after baby stories I covered that was like my specialty I guess and I would all you know talk to celebs about oh how did you lose the baby weight or what's it like taking care of a baby and they oftentimes if you know, and most most of the time they painted this picture like, oh, I ate right and I exercised and I'm back into my pre-baby jeans or back into my skinny jeans or um, you know, they give you these all these tips about how they lose weight or got in shape or how, you know, they love getting spit up on and how waking up in the middle of the night it's just like you're tired, but it's so joyful. You know, once I actually had a kid, <laughs> I realized how untrue, what a load of crap all of that was. The reality is those first, I'd say, few years of parenthood are so hard. And I think a lot of these images that we see in media kind of set us up for feeling a little bit like failures.
0: Definitely. We're not doing existing moms any service by not saying how it really is. We're not doing prospective or expectant moms any service by not <laughs> giving them a heads up and talking real. You argue that we need to talk about motherhood differently. How should we be speaking and
1: talking and teaching all things motherhood? So, you know, I I wondered, I, I after I actually was taking care of an infant, I wondered why none of my friends who had children told me, like, you know how i would feel or what to really expect about my new life now and what you focus on when you're when you're pregnant is all the stuff you need the crib the you know the car seat the wipes warmer which by the way you don't need But you get all this stuff because you think this is going to make the transition to motherhood easy. This is what you need to prepare. And you do. You do need things to prepare for having a little infant in your home and in your care. But there are so many other things that change in your life that we don't even talk about. Um, How you feel about your body, your relationship with. Your women, your uh, women friends who don't have kids, your marriage, your sex life, your job, and so it's not. I understand that no one wants to be a Debbie Downer. It's not like you're like you're going to tell your friend you're pregnant and she's going to be like, "Oh, this is all this awful stuff is going to happen to you." That's that's not my goal. My goal is to say like, here, let's prep for this. So every issue I go over in the book, I also have tips and exercises and things that you can do to prepare, safeguard, or avoid these things that can happen. And I feel like just being prepared, right, just helps you navigate and not feel so crazy when these hiccups are happening.
0: I love that. You're so right when you say that when the average expectant mom is pregnant, she spends an oversized amount of time researching car seats and cribs and a very little amount of time thinking about all the other ways, all the other facets of their lives that are going to change. So we don't have time to talk about every single tip that you list in your book today, but I do want to talk about some of them. And I want to start with the hobbies and the passions that we all have that often fall to the wayside once the children come along. For me, with a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old, I've realized that as an unhappy mom, I wasn't doing any service to my children, right? Like I want my children when I am when they're old and grown, I want them to look back on their childhood and not say, "Mom always worked. Mom was always so tired. Mom was always so cranky. Mom was always yelling." I want them to say I had a great home life and mom was happy and smiling and relaxed. Talk to me about that, though. I mean, there's not a lot of time in the day. There's an awful lot to get done. How can the mothers listening invest in their own happiness
1: despite everything on their plates? Yeah, I think a lot of us feel like it's all about our kids and it's all about our family. And they are. They're the most important thing in our world, but they aren't the only important thing in our world. And what I found from interviewing hundreds of moms all over this country is that if you're burned out and overwhelmed and depleted, which most of us are, you are not being the kind of parent or partner that you want to be because you're always a step away from frustration and being frazzled and having your own kind of like meltdown or tantrum. And your kids notice that right? And that has an effect on them. Even if you don't see it in the moment, it does have an effect on them. So I wanted women, parents, primary caretakers, actually, um, most of the ones I interviewed were women, but primary caretakers, I want them to start focusing on the things that give them a sense of relief, a sense of calm and makes them feel fulfilled outside of their children. And I'm not saying that this has to take you, you know, go away for four weeks to like surfing camp in Hawaii. Which <laughs> Sounds amazing, but I'm not saying do that. I'm saying take time in your day or in your week to focus on something that makes you happy and just you happy. Right. And, you know, I talked to women who, for some, it was starting a charity where they had focus outside their kids because their kids were getting older and didn't need them as much. For others, it was like getting back into a hobby they loved, whether it was running or knitting or writing or podcasting. These are things that you, you can do. It's not saying it's going to be easy. But what I had to let go of is that every time my little, my little one, he's four, every time he wanted to play with me, which is all day, I would used to give in. I used to be like, oh, because I felt so bad. I didn't want him to feel like I didn't want to play with him or to feel lonely or to feel neglected in that sense. But the fact of the reality is that if you don't play monster trucks every day, all day with your kid, he's going to be fine. (laughs) You You have to give yourself, cut yourself a little break. Sometimes we just take on everything because we feel like we do it best. We know it's best. It's our job. And it's not your job to sacrifice everything that you need to take care of your children. So I wanted to try to kind of talk to moms about finding what makes you happy, what gives you, again, that little sense of relief, that little spark of joy that doesn't have anything to do with your kids and spend time doing that.
0: Yeah, I would say it's a non-negotiable. You have to put some effort into cultivating, keeping, I would say is a better word, keeping that pre-child identity You have in your book a new to-do list, I would call it. I start my days with a to-do list, laundry, walk the dog, prep dinner, (laughs) you know, the normal things that I think most of us have on our daily to-do list. What's on the new to-do list?
1: Well, I think every single mom should ask herself these questions. The first one is, am I nurturing my marriage or my partnership? The second is, Is my career headed in a good direction? If you have a career, your next question is, do I have supportive friends to turn to? And then ask, do I feel good about myself? And then do I nurture the passions I had before kids? And lastly, have I created a social life or hobbies that have nothing to do with my family? So if you answered no to more than one of those, you need to, Reprioritize, right, and that means putting you back on top of your to-do list some days. Because you, if you're in a partnership, it needs to be nurturing. If you don't feel good about yourself, why? You, you should. There should be things in your life that make you feel good about yourself. You should. Ha- you do deserve to have interests outside of your kids or your your family. You need to be able to talk to people who aren't in your house. And I think actually one of the most important is having a supportive network to turn to. You know, I spent. I talked to so many women who felt like they didn't have those mom friends that they needed, and, and it wasn't always because there were no friends around. It was because they didn't have the right kinds of friends. And there are three things that are incredibly important when you're when you're building friendships or you're looking for friends, and that's positivity. Do you, when you're around these people, do you feel positive? Do you feel enriched? Do you feel happy? Do you just feel happy? And is consistency. Can you rely on them? Are there times where you can connect, even you know, if it's via text or video call or FaceTime or emails? Like are you communicating and connecting and sharing? And then the last one, which I think is the most important, is that do you feel comfortable being vulnerable? Around these people. Because you don't just want people to like want to celebrate and party with you during the good times. You want to be able to turn to people when you're having a down day or having a tough time or need to get through something. And people who care, who are going to listen, offer feedback if you want it. So all of those things come into play when you're looking for real solid friendships.
0: I love that you offered up those three qualities that every friendship needs to thrive. Do you have any words of advice for the parents listening who... First of all, don't particularly like to socialize with strangers (laughs) and know that that's not me, by the way, but I'm assuming I'm guessing that there are people in the world who don't have the time, effort or energy putting themselves out there, so to speak. Sounds like the most miserable experience in the world is finding friends, finding new friends, making new friends as an adult worth the effort. It is.
1: It really is. And, you know, I know it's hard. You know, I I compared it in my book to like walking into the junior high, the first day of school, into the cafeteria and not knowing where to sit it brings all those insecurities percolating back to the surface. I have felt it. And it's, it's, it is it's a little bit nerve wracking. But I also know that I needed, once I entered this new phase of my life, I needed people who who understood what I was going through. So for a lot of people, it will be finding new mom friends, maybe at the playground at their kid's school or a parenting group or online. There are lots of really amazing online um, mom groups, but it could also be reconnecting with someone you knew from your past or someone you grew up with or a family member or a cousin who will you can talk to and have, who can be some kind of support. Because what I found is that women wanted someone to not just talk to, but someone who could understand where they were coming from and what they were going through.
0: It's an interesting phenomenon when you're a new mom and you're home with a baby for maternity leave or perhaps forever if you do not work outside of the home. You're with another human all day long and you need alone time, need time to breathe. Yet also, at least in my case, I also felt profoundly lonely in that first year.
1: Yeah. If you are craving connection and you're lonely, I can guarantee you most people that you're seeing feeling the same way everyone is going through this epidemic of loneliness especially right now and so you do have to like step out of your comfort zone a little bit and reach out and talk to someone or form a connection or you know text an old friend and be like hey what's going on i just thought we could catch up or you know you have to like make those first steps because it does take time it takes time to build trust to make friends, to understand someone's ups and downs and where they're coming from. It's not like you're going to see someone at the grocery store and be like, oh, that's my, my friend's soulmate. Well, I'm totally putting you on the spot here. But in your
0: book, you mentioned a specific amount of time that research says you need to put into a friendship.
1: Can you talk more on that? Yeah, of course. Uh, so there's this researcher at the University of Kansas. And he found that it takes 150 hours to cement a solid lasting friendship i when i read that i was like this is horrible like who has i don't i barely have an hour of extra time in my day but when i broke it down and again when i was talking to um mom groups and mom friends and i really thought about it there are ways that you you make up those hours it's not like again okay let's spend 10 hours driving our kids to Disney or, or something like that. It, it happens in little bits and pieces and little moments and down moments. You could be having coffee and you start talking about your life and sharing something. So it's, it's time that time is important. And you have gone through hours and hours with someone without even realizing it. But it's also the quality of those conversations. Like, again, that's where that vulnerable piece comes in. Like when you're talking, are you sharing things about your life? Are you listening to that person share about their life? Are you taking it in? All of that is built into those 150 hours. Well, I want
0: to talk to you about your best tips and thoughts for managing our professional lives as well as managing our relationship with our partner. Which one do you want to talk about first? I'll let you choose.
1: Oh, let's see partner. That's a good one. (laughs) That can be a tricky one.
0: Okay. Yes, it can be. It is a tricky one in this household. I want to just set up my question to you by saying that I am in charge of all the invisible work. I'm working on it with my husband. He's probably listening and he's cursing the... (laughs) cursing this podcast right now, but it's true. And because I am the default parent, if you know me in my real life, if anybody in my real life is listening, you know that I bemoan being the default parent, the parent who is always on, really always on. The invisible work plus the default parenting really leaves me feeling an awful lot of resentment most days. (laughs) And so then the the problem becomes, well, my marriage becomes transactional, like I did this, this, and this. You need to do X, Y, and Z to make up for it so that we're balanced and even. So I guess that's my first question. How can we make our relationships, I'm going to use the word marriage just because I'm married, no, no shade to anybody who's not, but how can we make our relationships, our marriages less transactional and more acting, living, doing out of a place of love as opposed to um, obligation,
1: yeah. So I call this like lemmas for your marriage because I feel like you you. And this is you know great if you're just starting out and you have young kids, but this also works if you have older kids. And it's this idea that you have to kind of prep and prepare for how you communicate once you're married and once you have this like partnership. And I think what I found is that most couples never talk about what family life looks like on a day to day. They just kind of, it just starts evolving. And then suddenly, you start doing things. As like my great-grandmother would call, there are pink roles and there are blue roles. And then the mom just naturally takes on these roles and the dad just naturally takes on these other roles. And that's just not the way we live anymore, right? Because moms are just as busy and overworked and pulled in every direction and dads are busy and overworked and pulled in every direction. So I feel like there has to be a lot more communication about expectations. Because that's what this resentment comes from. You're drowning in the sea of these expectations that you have, and then your expectations for the other person aren't necessarily being met. So I really, I really encourage couples to like sit down, not in anger, because this is what happens usually. Like. You watch your spouse pass by the garbage can that's full and you and he hasn't taken it out and he passed by it five times in the kitchen. And then suddenly like you freak out. You're like, I don't understand. Don't you see the garbage can there? Why can't you take the garbage out? Like, you know, or um, help with the laundry or help the kids get ready in, in the morning. And I think what we don't, we do, we vocalize our anger and resentment in that moment, which is natural, right? So I used to have this, issue with my husband because I'd be like sweating bullets, getting the kids ready in the morning or we're going on some outing or something on the weekend. And then he's like leisurely putting on his socks and he's sitting and I and I'm thinking I, (laughs) I need another shower because I've been like running around so much and he's so leisurely and I would get so angry and I would spend the rest of the day kind of seething and annoyed and really kind of just, you know, just upset with him all day and I wouldn't vocalize why, Right. So what I started doing was when we had something going on, I tell him, this is what we need to get out the door tomorrow. You take Aiden, I'll take Lex. You get him ready, then you pack the snacks, I'll do this. It's kind of like this divide and conquer, but if you keep waiting for your partner to intuit what you want, you're going to keep being resentful. Most people who read my book or read my writing, they're the default parent. This is the person who takes care of all those things that are, you know, it's not just the things that you see. It's not just like making lunches or dinners or driving the kids to school. There's like remembering it's time for the dental checkup. It's remembering that there's a bake sale or to make a costume or to buy this. There are all these things that are running through your mind where you're never you never have downtime. Well, I say why not give some of that responsibility to your partner? And make it clear that that's the expectation. So everyone kind of knows what they're supposed to be doing. And if it doesn't get done, well, then you have a right to get a little, you know, PO'd. <laughs> so you have the right to like, stay. but like ask for the help that you need. And I think that's, that will help, that will go a long way to cutting back on some of the resentment.
0: Mm-hmm. I well, should also say here, too, that my husband and I, We're stuck, we can still very easily get restuck, but in a pattern of communication where I'm operating from a place of resentment, frustration. And so when I talk to him, it comes off as nagging. And so then he gets defensive, and then everything gets bigger and more emotional. Like, spoiler alert to expecting parents. A lot of times people think that having a child is going to bring the the parents closer together it's going to bring the family together. That is often not the case. Do you have anything you want to say there?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think that people, you know, again, when they're focusing on having a baby, it's all about the baby and they don't break down how this is going to change everything about their lives. You know, you're not just tired, you're 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 stretched so thin and people don't realize that when you're tired and you feel overworked and you're stressed, it really does affect your, you know, if you want to be intimate or if you're annoyed all the time with your spouse. And I think people are kind of surprised by that because, you know, obviously the baby is made with so much love. You're so excited and you're thinking like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm more in love with him or more in love with her than ever. And then, you know, they're chewing loudly and you want to like choke them. (laughs) Um, I think that one of the ways that helps you know mitigate this is I recommend and I have this I have these questions in my book, you know sit down together before the baby comes or even if you have young children now, and just when it's a calm time and it's a peaceful time and you're not angry at each other for something, just sit down, each of you gets a pad of paper and then ask ask a question like, how do you think? a day in our family, a Saturday should go in our family, and you each write it down. And then you just kind of share what you wrote. It's really about, because a lot of times I notice that couples have completely different perceptions about how family life should go or what family life should be like. And I think like sharing that and understanding that, but it's not just those things. I found that couples argue over things they never even thought they would argue about. So like, will, will the kids be allowed to have sleepovers? Right? Um, how often will the grandparents visit? All of these things can cause tension because you're not you don't plan for them, you don't think about them, but they are important things to talk about. So I think if you talk about them when in moments of not high frustration and high stress, it could be really helpful. You may not always agree, but at least you know where the other person's coming from. Yeah.
0: There's a lot to be said for just sitting across the table from your partner and having a conversation, like no screens, eye contact. I mean when you go out to dinner with somebody and you get to reconnect, it's the same thing. Parents might not have the uh, free time to go out to dinner every week, but if you can just put the kids to bed, sit across the table with one another, and find ways to talk and reconnect and look in each other's eyes and talk from a place, a heart first place, as to like a anger or frustration first place, I'm still working on that personally, but
1: Oh, well, you know, it's interesting because I also found with a lot of um, couples when I interviewed them, there were little moments of intimacy were just gone, right? And by by intimacy, I mean like kissing in the morning. Some couples not even say good morning to each other, you know, or just asking, "Hey, how's your day?" and waiting for an answer, or just touching like or holding hands or smiling or like you said looking in your eye and like talking to some looking in their eyes and talking to them All those like little forms of intimacy help someone feel seen and loved and cared for and i think that sometimes we're so busy we just don't do them or we're so annoyed or tired we just don't do them but you have to make a concerted effort like i also write in the book that there are times where it's okay that your relationship comes first of course, you have to make sure your kids have everything they need. But if you need to work on your partnership or your marriage, that's incredibly important because that also benefits your children if you have a, a solid, supportive relationship with your partner. We've all, we
0: all know, you know, let's say you've been asked, How's your day? We all know what it feels like when somebody is truly listening to our answer versus just going through the motions and asking it. So maybe step one is just slowing down those little moments during the day for greater intimacy. I want to wrap up this conversation by talking about work. I know you had alluded to having some difficulties at work after you went back to work. So let's start there. What... Problems do
1: new mothers often face in their professional lives. I think what people don't realize is that when they come back to work, they may face a different perception of what they are as are like as workers or their work product. And a lot there's lots of research to back this up. There's something called the motherhood penalty, and it's when you come back to work and your ability to do the work or your dedication is seen as not as the adult team is committed as someone who doesn't have children you know and we've seen a lot of cases of discrimination there are thousands of cases that are filed every year with mothers lodging complaints that they're treated differently or they've been discriminated against and so i think that's really surprising and shocking because you're at really the most vulnerable stage in your life personally and you come back to work and you could you may face this kind of problem and it's horrifying right because like We should live in a place that respects and lauds and supports mothers, not a place where they feel like they are penalized for having another thing to focus on in their lives. But that does happen a lot. And I felt that it happened to me and it happened to a lot of the women that I interviewed. And so one of the ways that you can safeguard yourself is making sure that you know the law making sure that you know the company policy and the law in your state and what your rights and if you're protected. And then one of the things that this lawyer I interviewed, she had this great advice. She's like, you know, before you go on maternity leave when you're sitting down with HR and you're mapping out how long you'll be gone. If, if that's, if you have a, a leave policy at your company, you know, let them know that you know what the laws are. And then you also want to make sure that you understand all of your work product, right? So up to that point, if you've had all good reviews, make sure you take a note of that. Also make note of all the you know wins you've had or the accomplishments we had or like um, how much overtime you put in or how much extra work you've done. Just make be clear about what you contribute so that you can defend yourself if, if you need to. Because I also found that a lot of women, when they're away, there are complaints made in their files while they're on maternity leave. And so when they come back, there's always kind of like a, a case starting to build against them. I mean, it's, it's really terrible, right? You don't think about this when you're planning to have a kid, but these are things that are, re- that are happening to women all over this country. And if you feel like you, you need advice, go and get legal advice. Have a consultation with a lawyer to find out like what you should do, like what would be your first steps if you feel like you're being pushed out. I love it. You've offered so many
0: amazing thoughts based on your interviews and research. Do you have any final tips?
1: people always say, can you have it all? And I don't really don't think that's the question anymore because it's, what is having it all? It's gonna mean something different to every person. And that image of having it all that we see in TV and movies is just, you know, I, I still don't know how all those TV moms cut their houses clean. It's like, I <laughs> just, I don't know how they do it. But I think you have to ask yourself, not can I have it all, what makes me happy? You are made up of many different parts it's okay to give attention to some of those other parts that aren't your children. Your happiness matters. And it, it greatly impacts your family. Actually, there's this amazing study that showed that a mother's happiness was a greater determinant of a child's social emotional growth and their ability to communicate and be happy people than anything else. So your happiness matters moms. And I just really want you to focus on it because it's going to do you a world of good as well as your entire family.
0: Well, if that isn't motivation to be a little bit less selfless and a bit more selfish, I don't know what is. Erica, tell my listeners where you can be found
1: online, where your book can be found. Give us all the details. So I'm constantly writing for parenting sites, parents.com, The Bump, uh, mom.com, Cafe Mom. So you can read my writing there, but you can also find me on Instagram at at Erica Souter. Well, Erica, thank you so much for
0: this conversation. I enjoyed every single second of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. I have linked to everything you need to know from today's episode in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 241. Take care.